0: Welcome to episode 266 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is a podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about the parallel of the life of Abraham with Jesus Christ. Let's dive in. If you listened to the last episode, I mentioned that in my Daily Thunder series that I'm currently walking through called The Storyline of Scripture, I'm giving these big picture views of how everything in Scripture, the main storyline, all points to Jesus Christ. And what I decided to do is that in conjunction with that Daily Thunder series, that in the Deeper Christian podcast, I'm going to take that same segment that we've been walking through in terms of the timeline or the storyline of Scripture and give one of my all-time favorite Christophanies Or glimpses of Jesus in that part of scripture. Again, everything in scripture focuses and points to the greater reality of Jesus Christ. Well, in this week's episode for the storyline of scripture, I was talking about the idea of the kingdom promised, and I was looking at the life of Abraham. It's an amazing reality to think that God, out of all the people of the world, called one man and said, hey, would you walk by faith? Would you trust my word And would you come follow me, come out from the, from the world that, you know, out from the people, your family, and go to a place that you know, not of. And it's amazing that when you look at the life of Abraham, his whole life is a demonstration of faith in the word and the promise of God. Now in the daily thunder series, I flesh that out on a whole nother level, but I want to talk about one particular instance in the life of Abraham and how it is in a grand picture of Jesus Christ. If you do a study of the life of Abraham, there's some interesting parallels with the people of Israel, but ultimately with Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time working through those in this particular episode, but what I do want to do is look at Genesis 22 in one of these scenes. Before we even get into Genesis 22, I want to read you a passage from Hebrews chapter 11. It's again, that faith chapter. And it's talking about the life of faith that Abraham lived. And it really sets up what we're about to talk about. So listen to this. This is again, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse eight. The writer says this, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he left not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as a stranger in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, even from one man and one who was as good as dead as that, there were born descendants who were just as the stars of heaven in number and as the innumerable grains of sand along the seashore. All of these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and the one who had received the promises was offering up his only son. It was he to whom it was said, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. It's a great passage about the life of faith. And what you're gonna see is that there are several key things going on in the life of Abraham as it relates to living in faith. Obviously he followed God from the land he knew not of, but he was also walking in faith with Sarah when it comes to the birth of their son, Isaac, in other words, they were beyond the age of child rearing. When Isaac was born, Abraham was hundred, Sarah was 90. And you got to admit that <laughs> that would be hard to have a brand new baby at that age. And yet there come, there came a point when God tested Abraham to see if he would offer up Isaac. And that's really what I want to talk about. As you come into Genesis 22, there is this incredible picture of Abraham, this loving father who has an only begotten son, and he was willing to offer that son up. Now, I know that Abraham had another son named Ishmael, but Ishmael was actually rejected. He was actually sent away. And God says, I, yes, I will bless Ishmael on your behalf, but he is not the son of promise. And he was fully cut off. And at the point of the story, Abraham has only one true son. Now, in order to understand Genesis 22 and why Abraham would even walk into this scenario, it's important to look back at the context, which is the end of Genesis 21. At the end of 21, Abraham is making a covenant with this man named Abimelech down in a city called Beersheba. And it's interesting that they make this covenant in verse 32 and it says in verse 33 that Abraham planted a terimus tree at Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. And in Hebrew, that everlasting God means, or it's it's the Hebrew term El Olam. So you get this idea that Abraham is making this covenant, but in the midst of this covenant, Abraham looks at his God and he just says, wow, Lord, you are so good. And he calls upon the name of Yahweh, his God, and he declares forth God's name as El Olam, or the everlasting God. It'd be a fascinating study for you to walk through just this idea of El Olam. When we talk about the everlasting God, we're talking about the God who holds the universe in the palm of his hand, as Isaiah says. He uses that term with this idea of the universe. And you get this picture that God is mighty. God is great. God is in control. God is sovereign. And Abraham is looking at this whole scenario and he calls upon the name of his God and he says, God, you are the everlasting God. God, I can trust you. So it's not by accident then and you come into Genesis 22 and God is testing Abraham's understanding of the fact that God is El Olam. And this is what Genesis 22 says. Now it happened after these things that God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only one whom you love, Isaac, and go forth to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and we will return to you. Then Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and put it upon Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, my father, and Abraham said, here I am, my son. And Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place at which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son, Isaac, and put him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the boy and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only one, from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there was a ram after it had been caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son and Abraham called the name of the place Yahweh will provide as it is said this day in the Mount of Yahweh, it will be provided. That is such an incredible passage. I absolutely love Genesis chapter 22. I just want to point out a few things. I just want to show you the parallel between Abraham, this loving father and his only begotten son and the reality of what Jesus did upon the cross. Again, everything going on in the Old Testament is a foreshadow. It's a picture of something greater, this greater reality of Jesus and his work upon the cross. So again, you have this loving father and God comes up to him and says, Abraham, I I want to test your faith. I want to see if you'll do this. Abraham, I want you to take your son and go to a mountain of which I will show you. Again, it's an interesting calling of, will you trust me? Will you go to the very place I will show you? Just as he was called out of Ur and from his family to go to the land of promise. So now in the land of promise, God is asking Abraham to trust him and go to the mountain on which he was going to offer up Isaac. And it says that Abraham took his son and some servants and the donkey and literally traveled for three days. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but it is interesting how many times in scripture, the idea of the third day shows up. In fact, it seems like every time that phrase shows up on the third day, something significant is taking place. And I, I again, I think it's just a picture, a, a pointer, if you will, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that ultimately the third day is the great day. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So Abraham goes and on the third day, he sees the mountain from a distance. So Abraham turns into his, these young men that were with him And he says to them, stay with the donkey. Now listen to the profundity of what Abraham is saying. He says, the boy and I are going to go over there. We will worship and then we're going to return to you. It is so profound to me that Abraham knew that he was going to return with Isaac. And again, as we just read in the book of Hebrews, Abraham, though he had never seen anyone raised from the dead, he had such confidence in his God. He knew that the promise of God was going to come through Isaac. And because Isaac had not had any sons, he wasn't married at this point. (laughs) Do you realize that Abraham knew, had such confidence of saying, okay, God, uh, I'm going to trust you. And if you are asking me to sacrifice my son, well, he's that son of promise. Uh, You have promised that that the descendants will come through him, which means even though I've never seen someone raised from the dead, I will put my hope and my trust in you. Now, can you imagine walking through this with the faith of Abraham? And you do realize that this is prior to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is an Old Testament man walking in Old Testament faith. In other words, what I'm trying to say is the fact that we in the current generation, we have the Holy Spirit. God has poured forth his spirit, which means that He, we have the enablement of God in our lives. We have the intimacy and the relationship and the power of God in our lives to do what God commands. And yet here you have this incredible picture of faith of an Old Testament man who looks at the promises of God and says, all right, I trust that. I will believe you. And yet here we are, the people who should be the people of faith, filled with the very promise of God, the Holy Spirit. And yet how often do we wrestle? How often do we argue? How often do we decide not to obey the word of the Lord. That is so convicting to me. It's also interesting to mention that that this is the first time the word worship shows up in scripture. Uh, there is a kind of a study principle that anytime you see a word, it's the first time it shows up in, in the Bible. That first instance is kind of giving some major context or insight into that concept. In other words, if you really want to understand worship, you really need to study Genesis chapter 22, because this is the first time that word worship shows up. And again, it's a beautiful picture in light of this idea of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Now it goes on and says that Abraham took the wood for this burnt offering and laid it upon his son, Isaac, and he took in his hand, the fire and the knife. And so the two were walking on together. And as it goes, uh, dad, where's, Where's the lamb? <laughs> I have the wood. You have the knife. I see the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And listen to what Abraham says. He says, "God will provide for Himself the lamb for the burnt offering." That is such. I ah. Oh, I I wish I could just give you my excitement when it comes to this passage. That is so beautiful to me. Abraham is saying. God's going to provide it. God will provide the lamb for sacrifice. And it is not by accident. He says a lamb. We know that, you know, in several years from now, about four or 500 years that uh, with Moses, there's going to be the Passover lamb and it's going to be by the blood of that sacrificial lamb that they escape Egypt. And what you see is that that is the motif or that's the picture all throughout scripture, ultimately leading to Jesus Christ. And the New Testament writers were constantly saying, wow, he is the lamb of God. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the, lo- uh, the, the, the the lamb sitting upon the throne. That is That is so profound to me that even in this scene, Abraham in his faith was looking forward saying, God will provide a lamb. Several scholars have pointed out the fact that when it says that Abraham took his boy or his lad... His son Isaac, you know, some have said, well, how old was Isaac? And it's intriguing, you know, you technically that word in Hebrew supposedly, you know, could be anything from, well, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old up through, you know, adulthood. And when you look at this idea that Isaac was carrying the wood for his sacrifice, several scholars have pointed out that the amount of wood necessary for, you know, a burnt human sacrifice would be hundreds of pounds of wood, which means Isaac if if he's carrying it on his back was not carrying you know he wasn't like 7 or 8 years old carrying several hundred pounds of wood i wouldn't be surprised i can't prove this biblically but it would not surprise me when you start to see these parallels between this passage and the life of jesus it would not surprise me at all if when we get into the eternities and and god's given us the insights of all these incredible passages if we find out that isaac was right around 33 years old. That word in Hebrew for boy or lad, supposedly from what I could discover, legitimately could be translated up to, you know, your mid thirties. And so the fact that it could be, and the fact that Isaac apparently was strong enough to carry a bunch of wood, he was either a late teenager or a man. And it just makes sense in the whole scheme of scripture that the parallel, the parallels are just too perfect in this story. And it's like, well, Again, I can't biblically prove this. This is just a guess, a conjecture on my part, but it wouldn't surprise me if we find out that he was in his early thirties. I'll just, maybe I'll just stop there. (laughs) But think about this. There is this mountain and Isaac is going to be sacrificed on this mountain. And so Abraham, the father puts the wood for the sacrifice on his son and Isaac carries his own wood for sacrifice up the mountain. Do you realize that is the very thing that Jesus did? Here is God, the loving father, who is allowing his only begotten son to climb up a mountain called Golgotha, carrying his wood for sacrifice. It was called a cross. And when you begin to look at the story, you begin to realize that there's something happening in the story of Abraham and Isaac that goes far beyond just, well, that's a nice story that you're seeing a glimmer of something, a a shadow of something that is to come. And so here they are, they they get to the top of the mountain and, and Abraham builds the altar and puts Isaac on top of that sacrifice. Now, we often talk about the faith of Abraham in this scene, but do you realize how much faith Isaac had to have had in his father? Isaac, whether he was seven or 33, you realize that Abraham was in his hundreds. He was over a hundred, right? Because Isaac was born when Abraham was a hundred. So however old Isaac is, Abraham is a hundred and that many years old. I am fairly confident if Isaac wanted to get away, if he wanted to run, he could have probably ran away from from Abraham. Could you imagine that when Isaac asks his dad, hey dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. And Abraham builds the altar, puts the wood up there, he had to have turned to Isaac and said, will you trust me just as I am trusting God? Will you trust me? And I, I trust that God will provide the lamb, but he's asked me to sacrifice you. And so I'm going to tie your hands and I'm going to place you upon this altar, but you're going to have to trust me. And the amount of faith that Isaac had to have had in his dad had to been immense. But the reason I think he could have that amount of faith in Abraham is because he saw over and over and over again the faith that Abraham had in his God. And so there's this trust of saying, okay, dad, if God is asking you to do this, I'll trust you. And so here's Isaac upon the altar and Abraham lifts up his knife and is about to bring it down. And of course, Abraham has stopped and he says, hey, no, 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 don't touch the boy. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And I love this. Abraham raises his eyes and he looks and behold, he sees this ram caught in a thicket and he goes, wow, see God has provided the lamb and he calls the name of this place, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And then there's this little caveat that said, because on this mountain, as it is said to this day, the Lord will provide it. And you start to realize Huh? So on the mountain of this Lord, uh, the mountain of the Lord, this mountain, this Mount Moriah, is forever going to be called Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides, and you see that because why? God provided a lamb in place of Isaac. And you realize that in the larger scope of things God is looking at Abraham saying, Abraham, just as you are a loving father and you put the wood of the sacrifice on your only begotten son and he carried it up the mountain and you were willing to sacrifice your son. Do you realize that there is coming a day when I, a loving father, I'm going to take my only begotten son and place the wood of the sacrifice upon his back and he is going to climb up a mountain. And I will not stay my hand. He will be that lamb of provision. He is that perfect sacrifice. He is that Passover lamb. What an amazing picture of the cross. And perhaps what is maybe more profound is to realize that the mountain of which Abraham took Isaac for the sacrifice is a mountain that we find out is Mount Moriah which is the Mount of Jerusalem. In 2 Chronicles 3.1, it says that Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father, David. Mount Moriah, the place where Abraham took Isaac, was Jerusalem. And though the Jews believe that Abraham did the sacrifice on the Temple Mount, when you actually look at the topography of the hill, if Abraham went to the top of the mountain, that top of the hill is a place that you and I know as Golgotha. Do you realize that the place that Abraham was willing to lay down his son Isaac is the very same place that Jesus, with the wood of the sacrifice, climbed up a hill and was willing to lay down his life? That just as the lamb of sacrifice was a sacrifice in place of Isaac, so too, Jesus Christ is my provision that I have grace, I have received mercy and forgiveness, and I no longer have to pay the penalty. God himself has taken the penalty on him. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took on my sin so I could take on His righteousness. God is still Jehovah Jireh. He is still the provider. And just as he foresaw in advance the need of a ram in a thicket so that Abraham could sacrifice that lamb, so that Abraham and Isaac could walk back to that two young men and the donkey, that same God of promise is looking at you and I saying, do you realize that I am still the God who provides? I am still the God who makes provision on your behalf. And do you realize how profound it is to realize that Jesus is our perfect sacrifice? I love that story about Abraham. Not only does it showcase Abraham's incredible faith and trust in his God, not only does it show Isaac's trust and faith in Abraham and in God, but it's a great reminder for all of us that God still is a God of provision. God is faithful And I think it's a beautiful picture of how we can see Jesus in the Old Testament. There are so many layers to this with the crucifixion event. Uh, In Eldersley, the discipleship program that I teach at, we spend an entire night just looking at Abraham and just the layers upon layers upon layers of how profound this story is in light of Jesus Christ being the Passover lamb on our behalf if you love to see these kind of things throughout, specifically the Old Testament, I would encourage you to pray and ask God to open up your eyes and your heart that as you're reading through the Old Testament, that yes, we need to you know read and study the Old Testament in its context and its original intent and in its original culture and all that, all that stuff. But as I keep saying, every page of scripture is showcasing the grand reality of Jesus Christ. Well, if you'd like to join me in The Daily Thunder series, where I'm walking through the storyline of scripture, kind of looking at the big picture of scripture, kind of giving some broad brush strokes on what is happening through the entirety of scripture and how it all points to Jesus Christ, I'll leave a link in the description in the show notes if you'd like to follow that particular podcast. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 266 for episode 266. If you like this kind of teaching, I would encourage you to check out my weekly wrap-up email. In that email, I kind of put all things Deeper Christian at your disposal. I give all the quotes, all the articles, podcasts, and all that kind of resource stuff that's been kind of released that week. And I just put it in one simple email that goes out on Saturday mornings. If that would be a blessing or a help to you, I really think it could just add some value and give some resource of how to just grow in your intimacy with Jesus Christ and your understanding of God's word. And if you're interested in that, I'll put a link where you can sign up for that weekly wrap-up email in the description and in the show notes as well. Regardless, know I am standing with you. I'm praying for you and I'm cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.